This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 17th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include new security updates make a surprise appearance on some older Apple devices, Google gives up on a redesign of the Chrome browser. Phishing is still as widespread as it ever was, and maybe more so as we look at just-released statistics. And we'll have part two of our look at the new features coming to the next versions of Apple's operating systems. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm okay. I, it's really hot where you are, isn't it? I know you're in an undisclosed location, but we can reveal that you are in the state of California, which is in a state of heat wave right now. Yes. Yeah. It's been very hot here the last few days. That is for sure. And so, of course, our, our running gag is that uh, the fans on my MacBook Pro tend to go a little bit crazy um, when it's even slightly warm. So I've done everything that I can to cool off my podcast recording studio, and we will see how it goes today. Josh, you got to get a new MacBook Air without a fan. I mean, <laughs> it, you, you know what we should do every week? You don't get one. You should put like 10 bucks in the tip jar, and finally, you'll have enough money to get one. So <laughs> we've got a surprising security update this week, don't we? Yeah, there was uh, an update that just came out on Monday. And of course, we, we talked about how there were some recent uh, iOS updates and macOS and whatnot. iOS 14.6 actually came out back on May 24th. And uh, there were no other security updates after May 24th until... Monday of this week, June 14th, when iOS 12 got a security-only update. Wait, no, you said that wrong. You said iOS 12. Oh, no. iOS 12. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So iOS 12 is two generations old. So iOS 14 is the current generation of iOS and iPad OS. And iOS 13 is the previous. Now, all devices that could run iOS or iPad OS 13 can be upgraded to version 14 and all the way to the current 14.6. However, some devices are still stuck on iOS 12, and that includes iPhone 5S, 6, 6 Plus, as well as iPad Air, iPad Mini 2 and 3, and the iPod Touch 6th generation. All those devices are stuck with iOS 12. They cannot be upgraded to a current version of iOS. And so Apple has been re occasionally releasing security updates for iOS for the most severe vulnerabilities is how I recommend looking at this because they're not releasing anywhere near as many patches for vulnerabilities as they are in the current versions of iOS, which should tell you that basically it's only the most severe things that they're even considering touching for the old iOS 12. And I think it's worth pointing out that the reason that they're doing this most likely is that there are a lot of older devices that are used in industry. Um, we were talking before the show, you were saying you see a lot of iPad minis as kiosks. I see them here as payment terminals running square. I know a lot of businesses use iPad minis and even iPod touches for inventory management. So sometimes people wonder why Apple's updating the iPod touch 
or the iPad mini. A lot of it is because these are usages that we don't see. And you can imagine that a business who has 10,000 iPad mini 3s can't really upgrade all of them. So it makes a lot more sense to give them a security update to make sure that they're safe. And this is especially true, I think, in the education environment. It's very, very common to have multiple generations of iPad, for example. Um, and, you know, to, whenever you get new hardware, you don't necessarily replace old hardware. You supplement so that you have more devices available to the students. And so very often you'll have a cart that might just be an older model of iPad and they might be stuck on an older operating system. So this is sort of Apple's way to sort of extend the the olive branch a little bit to some people who are still using really, really old devices. So it's it's good. It's good that they're patching some things. I only worry that they might be giving a false sense of security to people thinking, oh, cool, I'm still getting security updates when there's not really that many things that are getting patched. So th there's three specific security issues that were patched in this latest version of iOS 12. And they are one vulnerability that was also patched weeks ago in iOS 14.6, which is a, uh, a memory corruption issue um, that was addressed by removing some vulnerable code. And then there were also two WebKit vulnerabilities that have a different CVE number from anything that has been previously listed on Apple's uh, list of security updates. So these are two WebKit vulnerabilities. And Apple does specifically say that they are aware of a report that this issue may have been actively exploited. And they credit an anonymous researcher for both of these vulnerabilities. So interestingly enough, these are WebKit vulnerabilities that are not at least by that CVE number, it doesn't look like they've been patched in more recent versions of iOS, which could mean a couple of different things. One thing that it could mean is that in newer versions of iOS, they already have protections that mitigate these particular exploits. Another possibility, though, that's kind of a little more interesting, although maybe not as likely, is that maybe you've got people out there who are actually targeting these older operating systems and trying to find ways to exploit them. That could be. Maybe if you're maybe if you're a bad guy and you're targeting an organization that you know uses a lot of devices that can't be upgraded past iOS 12 and uh, you're trying to break into their network? I don't know. These are WebKit vulnerabilities that Apple says may lead to arbitrary code execution. So basically the idea is that, so there could be a maliciously crafted website that you might visit in Safari and that could potentially run malicious code on your device, which means that somebody could do things that normally you wouldn't be able to on iOS. You could potentially even infect an iOS device with malware. Now, here's just a speculation. Is it possible that, for example, the U.S. military uses some of these older devices? Um, I suppose that's possible. I would think that there's a lot of inertia in big organizations like that to update devices, you know, or, or maybe other military or sensitive organizations. It might not be schools because someplace on Apple's developer website, you can see the percentage of people using the latest operating system and the previous one and then all others. So we're only talking about one or two percent of total devices using iOS 12. But I wonder if there are like specific cohorts that are using this, which prompt Apple to take this action. 
Well, I, I guess it's certainly possible. And, and we may never have an answer to this because this is an anonymous researcher. And app, all Apple's ever going to tell us is that they are aware of a report that this issue may have been actively exploited. We may really never know the answer to who exactly was being targeted with these attacks. If any of our listeners are using these older devices, drop us a line at podcast at com. We don't need to know where you work, if it's a secret, but I'm curious to know if anyone's using them other than at home, if you're using it in a professional environment, I'd be curious to know why uh, is your company can't upgrade because you have 100,000 iPad minis or iPod touches that you use for something and that's a big expense. Okay. Google has abandoned an experiment, and I don't understand what's going on here. So they, for about 12 months, they, they had an experiment which would allow you to show simplified domain URLs in Chrome. So the, the example, we're going to link to an article by the record, and the example they show is a Wikipedia article. And the address bar shows just en.wikipedia.org, and then if you hover over it, you see the full URL. Now, Safari's been doing this for years. Why did Google turn their back on a feature that I thought was relatively common in browsers. Yeah, first of all, so to, to be as clear as possible about this, what, what Google changed their policy on was it used to be that you would see the entire URL from all the way from HTTPS colon slash slash all the way to the end. And for a while, they were hiding that from the address bar. So you would only see the domain. So for example, it, we'll, we'll link to an article in the record where they where they show an example of this, where if you were on Wikipedia, for example, and you hovered over that bar, you would you would see instead of en.wikipedia.org, when you hover over it, you, you would see the full URL. But until you hovered over it, you would only see en.wikipedia.org. So you would know the website that you were on, but not the the full path. You wouldn't be able to get that complete address unless you hovered over it or clicked in that bar. However, there was an option to display the complete address. Yeah, you, you had to know that that option existed, which most people, of course, did not, and, and they wouldn't have enabled that feature. So here's the thing. I think Google's intention with this was to make the browsing experience less confusing and, and also probably I think they, they thought that it would highlight what website you were on I, one problem with phishing websites that try to pretend to be a legitimate login page, for example, um, is that they will often use misleading addresses. And so, um, you know, they'll they'll use lookalike domains, they'll use subdomains that that make it look like um, you're you're on the page where you're supposed to be when you're actually someplace else. If you're not looking really closely at it, you might miss out on that. Right. So you might see something instead of wikipedia.org, you might see wikipedia-evilsite.org. And you're seeing the Wikipedia, it might be enough for some people to think it really is Wikipedia. And, and I think maybe some of the original intention of this was to sort of simplify it so that people could know what to focus on. Um, to maybe lessen the impact of of uh, potential you know phishing attacks and things. Anyway, it just didn't work out. A lot of people were actually really concerned about this, and and didn't like the idea of Google hiding any portion of that bar because now it meant that oh okay well so the bad guys now will hide stuff in that part that's hidden right. So um, it's 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 good to see that. 
Google has learned from maybe their mistake on this and is rolling this back. Um, it is sort of funny to see that this really only lasted about a year in Google before they changed their policy back to how it was before. Okay, so this is standard on, on Apple devices on the Mac and on iOS. If you go on the Mac to Safari's advanced preferences, smart search field, show full website address. You can check that if you want to see the full address. There's a similar setting for Safari on iOS and iPadOS. Finally, it's fishing season here in the UK today. Fishing season just opened. <laughs> and we have an article that fishing sites have reached the all-time high in January 2021. It's an article from just a few days ago, but this was based on a survey in January of this year. There's more fishing than there was before. Yeah, not too much else to say about this, but it is good to be aware of. I, a lot of people, I think, think that phishing is a thing of the past because if you're using certain email providers, they tend to be pretty good at filtering things out. Um, I don't particularly like promoting Gmail because, you know, it's Google, but Gmail is what a lot of people use and it's actually pretty good. Their spam filters do block a lot of, uh, of phishing messages so they don't get to your inbox. And so I think a lot of people aren't aware that phishing is still as big of a deal as it has been in years past. Um, I think the bigger problem with phishing in the modern era is that very often it's the targeted attacks that you need to worry about. Um, spear phishing attacks, campaigns where you're trying to break into a particular company, and so you're not going to be using the same old generic phishing messages that are going out to hundreds or thousands of people. You're going to be using something that's very targeted if you're targeting a, a, a particular company and trying to break in there. So it's those targeted phishing attacks that are really the bigger issue today, at least from the perspective of organizational security. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about new features in macOS Monterey, iOS 15, and iPadOS 15. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, last week we talked about privacy features in macOS Monterey, iOS 15, iPadOS 15, etc., etc., watchOS, HomePodOS, TVOS. This week we want to talk about the other features, the features that are going to make our lives better. And... I mentioned it last week when we were talking about all these features. This, to me, was one of the most impressive WWDC presentations I've seen in a while because there seemed to be a lot of useful features. None of that Flash stuff. Like, if you remember last year when they announced 5G on the iPhone, 
we talked about it. Hardly anyone's going to get millimeter wave 5G, which is the really fast. Most people won't get any 5G. They kind of announced it three years too soon before it's applicable. And they spent like 20 minutes talking about it. Whereas here, there was no time wasted. And I wouldn't say that every feature was interesting, but there was a ton of really interesting, useful features. W what stood out for you on the Mac? I don't know. In terms of Mac OS, there wasn't really a lot that jumped out to me, to be honest. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna walk through some of the features. We have an article on the Intego Mac security blog. I'll link to it in the show notes. I think the most impressive one, and we did mention this last week, is universal control, that you can work with a single mouse or trackpad and keyboard, and you can switch from one device to another if they're nearby. Now, this is one of these continuity features like AirDrop and the way you can share clipboards and things like that. So if you have a couple devices that are nearby, you could, let's say, move your cursor to the right edge of your screen on your iMac, and then boom, it shows up on your iPad. And you can go to the left to your MacBook Pro. And you'll be able to move files back and forth. As someone who often uses a laptop to test things and to make screenshots for articles, the ability to just drag a screenshot from my laptop to my iMac, that's going to save me a lot of time. Right. That could be very useful. And see, for, for me, the one continuity feature that I really use all the time is copying on one device and being so if I'm using my iPhone and then I use my laptop, I, I like being able to copy and paste between the two of them. That's super useful to me. But because I don't use an iPad, um, I, I thought it looked cool. I like the presentation of it, but that particular feature doesn't excite me a lot. Well, that's too bad. We have a video of Craig Federighi <laughs> demonstrating this in the article on the Intego Mac Security blog. Uh, one of the big changes is Safari. I'm not a big fan of the, the new, more compact Safari tab bar. Uh, I don't have any problems with the current tab bar, and I know they're going to just keep changing because they have to change the browser. That's what everyone uses. What I do find useful is tab groups. So if you have a set of tabs you use regularly, let's say when you're working on a specific project for a client, you've got to open these six websites. You can save these as a group and with a single click, you can open them. Now, you can actually already do that now if you save tabs in a folder and put them in the, the favorites bar. You can click on that item in the favorite bar and open in new tabs. But this is going to be a different way to access tab groups. And the tab groups sync across all your devices. I, I hate to be that guy, but I don't. I don't really. You're use, that guy, aren't you? <laughs> I don't really use Safari. None of this excites you. So. Um, okay. Okay. Well, let's try this one. Automation. Now, I don't know if you use shortcuts on iOS and iPad OS. It's a really interesting tool. I don't use it a lot. I've got a couple of shortcuts set up, but they're bringing it to the Mac. Now, this is going to eventually replace Automator, which they're going to keep alive for a few years. Shortcuts is both simple and complicated. It's simple because you can do some stuff just kind of dragging and dropping and selecting. But when you look at the actual code and some of the shortcuts, if you don't know what you're doing, it's really hard to use. There are a lot of websites where people are sharing shortcuts that you can download. So that's really useful. Does that excite you at all, Josh? Shortcuts? <laughs> Well, where shortcuts I, I, is interesting to me is from that perspective of how could shortcuts be used to like attack a computer? Are we going to see shortcuts that are basically malicious or malware? Um, and uh, I, I think th there's no question we're going to see people trying to exploit shortcuts um, as, and use them as malware. Um, it, it, anytime you give people an opportunity to automate things, I mean, we've seen this certainly with like macro viruses. I mean, that's been around forever and still hasn't gone away because 
Microsoft continues to uh, enable macro functionality in their products. And so people are going to take that, uh, take advantage of the opportunity to script things and use it for malicious purposes. So um, that's, I think, the most interesting thing to me about shortcuts coming to the Mac is that I think we're going to see people do bad stuff with it. Okay. When you download a shortcut on iOS or iPadOS, if you're downloading it from someone else rather than creating it yourself, you do have to go through a process to approve it for security reasons. So it, it will not let you accidentally download a shortcut, but I see your point and we'll have to look into this in the fall. Maybe you can come up with a proof of concept of something that does something malicious, but given the sandboxing, in iOS and iPadOS and macOS, maybe it can't do too much. If it can copy a file, though, any kind of file, then that has some room for malice. Or capture clipboard contents. I mean, there's there's a lot of potential there for shortcuts to do things that you may not really want just any old shortcuts to be able to do. Okay, well, we'll look into that when macOS Monterey and iOS 15 comes out. FaceTime features, uh, this is kind of funny. You, you can't help but think that Apple missed the boat on FaceTime because this past year has been everyone using Zoom instead of FaceTime. Now, obviously, FaceTime was only for Apple devices, but ooh, they're going to bring it to the web soon. So maybe people without Apple devices can use it. They're going to improve the way group chats work, and they're going to add something. And here, to me, this is the big yawn, share play. It's a way to set up group chats with FaceTime while a whole bunch of friends are watching a movie together. Now, okay, I can understand with COVID, people can't get together, this might be a thing, but I find it really annoying when I'm seeing people in my Twitter feed who are tweeting about a movie that they're watching, right? Like, why don't you just watch the movie and be quiet? <laughs> Instead, they spend time tweeting about it and they miss everything that's going on in the movie. I don't know. It could be interesting. It could be interesting for families who aren't together for, you know, for work reasons or, or imagine that someone who's in the service who's overseas and they want to watch a film with their kid. And so I, I, see, I can see some good possibilities, but it seems pretty gimmicky to me. Well, and there are already a lot of competing services that do something very similar to this. I think the thing that I like about this the most is just that now this is going to be just built into all of the Apple devices. It's going to be part of the ecosystem. And so you don't have to go sign up for a service or find some app that allows you to do this sort of thing. It's nice to have that kind of stuff built in. I, I don't know how much I'll use it, but it's it's nice to see that Apple is including that as a basic feature now, I think. Um, and, and yeah, and, and as far as FaceTime coming to devices beyond just the Apple ecosystem, absolutely. I, I agree that Apple missed the boat there. Um, but I'm very happy to see that Apple is finally opening that up because um, th this is this is has always been one of those things that I think holds back a lot of that messaging functionality that is so great on Apple devices. I, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have um, friends and relatives who use Apple devices, but there's that one friend or one relative who's using Android. And when you've got to send a group message to everybody, it's got to be MMS. You get the green bubbles. And anytime anybody you know does a reaction, a th thumbs up or a heart, it, tell, it, it looks right to you on your device, but to everyone else, it says so-and-so liked, and then it quotes the entire last message that you liked. Ugh, so awful. Anyway, I, these are these are things that um, yeah, it's it's it. I know these are first world problems, right? But th these are things that would be so nice to just be done with. Like, let's have 
iMessage and FaceTime and all these other features across platforms and not have Yeah, we need true interoperability. Yeah, we do. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so this FaceTime changes. This is also for iOS and iPadOS. Oh, hold on. I got a notification on my iPhone. I need to check. No, I was just kidding because one of the new features is called Focus. It's a way of filtering your notifications. So when I'm recording a podcast, I can say, oh, I'm busy with my podcast and I won't get any notifications unless it's like a real urgent thing. And when the day is over, I can turn off all the notifications when Josh sends me messages and just (laughs) ignore them until the next day. Because notifications are a problem. I'll link to an article in the show notes where I discuss notifications, how to limit notifications, how to adjust notification settings. And this is, of course, iOS, iPadOS, and macOS. I think this is a good idea. I hope it's not too fiddly. I hope it's not too complicated to set up that you've got to choose like each app for each different focus environment. And you could set up one set of notifications that you want to get when you're at work, another at home, another at the gym, etc. Right. And that part of it, I think, might make this a little bit too complicated for people. Um, just that that ability to tailor what you want to come through to you, depending on where you are, what activity that you're doing. Um, But I do like the idea. I think this is a smart thing for Apple to do something that's a little bit more focused (laughs) when it comes to those uh, suppressing notifications. Because right now, with anything before iOS 15 and macOS Monterey, you've got an all or nothing, do not disturb And that's not necessarily what everyone needs all the time. So this is great. I I think this was a a really nice feature that Apple is adding. Another interesting thing in iOS, and this is iPhone and this isn't iPad, I think you'll be able to create multiple homepages on your iPhone with apps that correspond to different contexts. So you could have a homepage on your iPhone for work. And you could have, say, Mail and Slack and Twitter or Discord, whatever you use, and Office, et cetera. And you could have another homepage when you're not at work. And you can still have Mail and Twitter, but maybe you'll have a game or something else. So you'll be able to have apps on multiple home screen. Now, of course, the day of the WWDC, people were installing the beta and making home screens with the same app in every location, which, you know, har har. But the the ability to have different screens for different times, I think is a great idea because I don't know about you, there are apps that I use on my iPhone during the day at work. And in the evening when I'm not working, then there are different apps I use. Now, I have to say, it's not a big deal. I've got three different home screens. So swiping from one to the other isn't that big a deal. But as a way of not being distracted and limiting the temptation of seeing Slack and wanting to look at Slack to see what your coworkers are saying. I think this is good. Okay. Well, I I was just about to say, I'm going to be that guy again, but okay. I, I can see where that might be useful. If, if that's, if that's the idea is uh, I, I want to be able to focus on certain notifications. So maybe you don't necessarily want to silence a bunch of stuff. Maybe you don't need that focus mode to be enabled, but um, but maybe you do just want to see certain things at certain times of the day. Um, I, I can see how that could be kind of useful. Okay. Now, I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but we've talked in the past about how some people couldn't update their iPhones or iPads because they didn't have enough iCloud storage to make a backup. Apple will temporarily loan you storage for three weeks so you can back up your device 
and restore it to a new device and without charging for it. And this is a good idea because, you know, the number of people who couldn't upgrade for that reason, and particularly for security updates even sometimes, was really problematic. So this is a good idea. It'll make it a lot more flexible when you get a new device, which is what they want you to do. Right. And this is long overdue. I, I've thought for a long time that this is something that Apple should be doing. It's really nice to see the, them finally doing this. OK, the iPad is going to get similar widgets to the iPhone. I don't know why they didn't introduce that last year. So you can intersperse widgets and icons on the home screen. It seems actually more logical on the iPad because you have so much more room. I don't do it on my iPhone. I've got one screen with some widgets. But you know the worst thing about this? When you put a widget on the screen, if it takes up more space than the number of icons you have, it bounces everything in different directions. And if you take the widget off, they're they're all over the place and they're not the way they were set up before. And I'm the guy who wants every icon to be just exactly where it is because I remember where they are. So anytime I make changes, I do a screenshot first. Ah, yeah, that's a good tip. Um, and, and yeah, it would be nice to see Apple make some improvements there on putting icons back the way that they were before. Yeah, a, a sort of a rewind button. Yeah. Okay, lastly, probably the most important new feature is that Watch OS 8, the Apple Watch will be able to handle multiple timers concurrently. People have been asking for this since the original Apple Watch. You know, you, you're cooking eggs. You want to set it for three minutes, and then you want to turn on a timer for the oven because you're cooking there, and you want to set another timer. And you can't. Um, there are apps. There's an app I use called Multi-Timer, which lets you set, gee, multiple timers. And now the watch is going to do it. So finally, we're saved. That's cool. I do actually like um, one other little feature that they're adding to Watch OS 8, which is the mindfulness app rather than just a breathe app. Um, now, now they give you a couple different options. There's the breathe and there's also reflect. Um, I think honestly, most people don't really take very much time to just sit and relax for a minute. And, um, it's nice to have another thing. So they're going to give you prompts, you know, to things to reflect on for a minute. That's good. You know, it's good to have a little positivity, inject that into your life. So I, I like that. I'm going to be that guy. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It basically looks like motivational slogans and then to, quote, invite a positive frame of mind. Now, if I look at my Apple Watch right now, I've got, no, I don't have one right now, but every day I get something, you can close your rings, you can do it, or, uh -huh. but it's always the same thing. Right. You know, it's not motivational when you see the same thing every day. Obviously here, they've maybe hired a writer to make enough motivational slogans to keep you in suspense, but we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm willing to try it out at least and, and see if I like it. But I like the idea of it. I, I like that Apple is doing things to sort of make us all think more positively because I think there's too much negativity in the world today. Wow, that's a great way to end. Until next week, Josh, stay positive. <laughs> all right. Stay positive and stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>